Today is the 17th day of May. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I'm Brian. It is a pleasure uh, every day to be here with you, including today. It's uh, uh, wonderful to take the next step forward as we move into the latter half or latter days, actually, of our week. And we're continuing to move through the uh, back half for the back part of the book of First Samuel which is uh, where we'll take our next step forward in the Old Testament today. We're reading from the voice translation this week, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 21 today. David ran for his life. He left Naot and Ramah and found Jonathan. David said, What have I done? Of what am I guilty? What crime have I committed against your father to make him want to kill me? Jonathan said, Impossible. Don't worry about it. You're not going to die. My father doesn't make any decision, large or small, without telling me. And why would my father hide this from me? It is not so. David said, But your father knows we are friends. And he has said, Don't tell Jonathan about this. He will be upset. I swear to you, as the Eternal lives and as you live, I am on the verge of being killed. Jonathan said, Whatever you ask, I will do for you. David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should be sitting with the king at his table. But let me go and hide myself in the field until three days have passed. If your father asks about me, tell him that I asked to return to my hometown, Bethlehem, for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, then all will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, you will know that he intends to harm me. So deal kindly with your servant. For you have made a sacred covenant with me, your servant. But if I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why should you have to bring me in front of your father? Jonathan said, That will never happen. If I knew my father planned to hurt you, wouldn't I tell you? David said, So who will tell me if your father gives you a good or bad answer? Jonathan said, Let's go out to the field. They went out to the field so that David could find a place to lie low. Jonathan said to David, Let the eternal God of Israel be my witness. This is my vow. When I have talked to my father about this time tomorrow or no later than the third day, if he acts friendly about you, won't I send an answer to you? But if my father plans to harm you, then may the Eternal One do to me what he plans for you, and more, if I don't let you know and send you away to safety. May the Eternal One be with you, as he has been with my father. If I live, then show to me the faithful love of the Eternal, that I may not die. Do not ever take your faithful love away from my descendants. Not even if the Eternal were to remove all the enemies of the house of David from the face of the earth. 
With these words, Jonathan made a covenant with David and his descendants. Jonathan said, May the Eternal One guarantee this promise by the hands of David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for Jonathan loved him more than life itself. Jonathan said, Tomorrow is the festival of the new moon. People will notice you are gone because your place will be empty. On the day after tomorrow, you will be greatly missed. On that day, quickly go down to that place where you hid yourself the first time and wait by the stone Izel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of the stone, as if I am shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy after them, saying, Go find the arrows. If I tell him, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, then come back, for as the Eternal One lives, you are not in any danger. But if I tell the boy, No, the arrows are beyond you, then flee, because the Eternal has shown you that you must leave. But as for the agreement that we have spoken together, the Eternal One is witness to it forever. So David hid himself in the field. When the new moon festival began and the king sat down to eat, he took his usual seat in a place of safety with his back to the wall. Abner, his general, sat at the king's side. Jonathan stood, but David's seat was empty. That first night, Saul said nothing. He thought that perhaps David had somehow become ritually unclean and he could not attend a sacred feast. But on the next day, the second day of the feast of the new moon, when David's seat remained empty, Saul spoke to Jonathan. Why hasn't the son of Jesse joined us at the feast these past two days? Jonathan said, David asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. Please allow me to go, he said. Our family is sacrificing in the city, and my brother has insisted that I come. So if you think highly of me, I ask that you let me go there and see my brothers. That is why he is not at the king's table. Saul, not fooled for a moment, became very angry with Jonathan. You son of a degenerate and rebellious woman. Do you think I don't know that you have befriended the son of Jesse? This is just as shameful for you as your mother's nakedness was. As long as David walks the earth, you will never rule this kingdom. Now send for him. Bring him here to me, because he will most certainly die. Jonathan said, Why should David be put to death? What offense has he committed? At that... Saul threw his spear at him, fully intending to hit him. So Jonathan knew that it was truly his father's intention to have David killed. Jonathan left the table in a rage, without eating a bite on the second day of the festival. He was grieved because of David and because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan took his bow and went out into the field as he had arranged with David and he brought a small boy with him. Jonathan said to the boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. The boy ran, and Jonathan shot an arrow behind him. When the boy reached the place where the arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out, Isn't the arrow beyond you? 
Hurry. Be quick about it. Don't hang around out there. So Jonathan's young servant gathered the arrows and returned to his master. He knew nothing, of course. Only Jonathan and David knew what had just transpired. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and told him to take them back to the city. As soon as the boy left, David rose from his hiding place south of the stone and prostrated himself before Jonathan. He bowed to Jonathan three times, and then David and Jonathan kissed each other. Both of them wept, but David wept more. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace and safety, since we have both sworn in the name of the Eternal One. He will mediate between me and you, and between our descendants forever. David got up from the ground and left, and Jonathan returned to the city. David went to a place called Nob, where he visited the priest Ahimelech, who came forward fearfully to meet him. Why are you here alone, without anyone else? Ahimelech asked. David said, The king has given me a mission that is not to be revealed to anyone else, and my servants are waiting for me at a place where I have sent them. Now what do you have here to eat? Let me have five loaves of bread or whatever you have. Ahimelech said, I have no ordinary bread, only the holy bread. You may take it if your men have not recently had sexual intercourse. David said, of course. They have stayed away from women since we have been on the road. Three days now. If their bodies must be kept pure even when we go on a typical journey, how much more must they be kept pure when we are on a mission like this one? The priest gave him consecrated bread since the bread of the presence was replaced when other fresh, hot bread was brought before the Eternal One, and no other bread was available. Now one of Saul's servants, Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds, was waiting before the Eternal that day. David said to Ahimelech, Isn't there a sword or spear here? I left so swiftly on my errand for the king that I did not bring my sword or weapons with me. Ahimelech said, We have no weapons here except the sword of Goliath, the Philistine you killed in the valley of Elah. Look, you'll find it wrapped in a cloth behind the sacred vest. You may take that if you like, for that is the only weapon here. David said, It is one of a kind. Let me take it. So David left and fled that same day from Saul and went to Saul's enemy, King Achish of Gath. The king's servants reminded the king, Isn't this David, who some claim to be the very ruler of the land? Didn't they sing about him while they celebrated and danced? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? When David heard these were the kinds of things people were saying about him, he was afraid of what Achish, the king of Gath, might do. So he acted differently when they were around and even pretended to be insane. He scarred the doors at the city's gates with his fingernails and drooled into his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at him.
Can't you see this man is crazy? Why have you brought him to me here in my house? Don't I have enough crazy people around here already? Or did you think I might need yet another? John 9 While walking along the road, Jesus saw a man who was blind since his birth. The disciples said, Teacher, who sinned? Who is responsible for this man's blindness? Did he commit sins that merited this punishment? If not his sins, is it the sins of his parents? Jesus said, Neither. His blindness cannot be explained or traced to any particular person's sins. He is blind so the deeds of God may be put on display. While it is daytime, we must do the works of the one who sent me. But when the sun sets and night falls, this work is impossible. Whenever I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spat on the ground and mixed saliva and dirt to form mud, which he smeared across the blind man's eyes. Jesus said to the blind man, Go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent, and its name reminded us that his healing was sent by God. The man went, washed, and returned to Jesus, his eyes now alive with sight. The neighbors and others who knew him were confused to see a man so closely resembling the blind beggar running about. The townspeople said, Isn't this the man we see every day sitting and begging in the streets? Others said, This is the same man. Still others said, This cannot be him. But this fellow bears an un any resemblance to the blind man? The formerly blind man said, I am the same man. It's me. The townspeople said, How have your lifeless eyes been opened? And the formerly blind man said, A man named Jesus approached me and made mud from the ground and applied it to my eyes. Then he said to me, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. I went and washed and suddenly I could see. The townspeople said, Where is the man who healed you? The formerly blind man said, I don't know. The townspeople brought the formerly blind beggar to appear before the Pharisees the same day Jesus healed him, which happened to be on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees began questioning him, looking for some explanation for how he could now see. The formerly blind man said, He smeared mud on my eyes, and I washed. Now I see. Some Pharisees said, God can't possibly be behind this man because he is breaking the rules of the Sabbath. Other Pharisees said, How can such a law-breaking scoundrel do something like this? The Pharisees were at odds with one another about Jesus and could not agree whether his power came from God or the devil. The Pharisee said to the formerly blind man, What do you say about this man? About the fact he opened your eyes so you could see? The formerly blind man said, I have no doubt this man 
is a prophet. Some of the Jews suspected the whole situation was a charade, that this man was never blind. So they summoned the man's parents to testify about his condition. The Pharisees said, Is this man your son? Do you testify that he has been blind from birth? How therefore does he now see? And his parents said, We can tell you this much. He is our son, and he was born blind. But his new sight is a complete mystery to us. We do not know the man who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask our son? He is old enough to speak for himself. The man's parents were a bit evasive because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. It had been rumored that anyone who spoke of Jesus as the Anointed One would be expelled from the synagogue. So they deferred the thorny question to their son, and the Pharisees called on him a second time. Give God the credit, they said. He's the one who healed you. All glory belongs to God. We are persuaded this man you speak of is a sinner who defies God. The formerly blind man said, If this man is a sinner, I don't know. I am not qualified to say. I only know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. What did he do to you? The Pharisees said. How did he give you sight? The formerly blind man said, Listen, I've already answered all these questions, and you don't like my answers. Do you really need me to say it all over again? Are you thinking about joining up with him and becoming his followers? Pharisees berated him. You're one of his followers. But we follow Moses. We have confidence that God spoke to Moses. But this man you speak of is a mystery. We don't even know where he comes from. The formerly blind man said, Isn't it ironic that you, our religious leaders, don't even know where he comes from? Yet he gave me sight? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does respond and work through those who worship him and do his will. No one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of any person blind from birth. This man must come from God. Otherwise, this miracle would not be possible. Only God can do such things. The Pharisees said, You were born under a cloud of sin. How can you of all people lecture us? The religious leaders banished him from their presence. Jesus heard what had happened and sought out the man. Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The formerly blind man said, I want to believe, Lord. Who is he? Jesus said, You have seen his face with your new eyes, and you are talking to him now. The formerly blind man said, Lord, I do believe. The man bowed low to worship Jesus. Jesus said, I have entered this world to announce a verdict that changes everything. Now those without sight may begin to see, and those who see may become blind. 
Some Pharisees who overheard Jesus said, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would be without sin. But because you claim you can see, your sin is ever-present. Psalm 113 and 114 Praise the Eternal. All of you who call yourselves the children of the Eternal, come and praise His name. Lift Him high to the high place in your hearts. At this moment, and for all the moments yet to come, May the Eternal's name ascend in the hearts of His people. At every time and in every place, from the moment the sun rises to the moment the sun sets, may the name of the Eternal be high in the hearts of His people. The Eternal is seated high above every nation. His glory fills the skies. To whom should we compare the Eternal, our God? No one. From his seat, high above, he deigns to observe the earth and her thin skies, stooping even to see her goings-on, far beneath his feet. He gathers up the poor from their dirt floors, pulls the needy from the trash heaps, and places them among heads of state, seated next to the rulers of his people, where they cannot be ignored. Into the home of the childless bride, he sends children who are, for her, a cause of happiness beyond measure. Praise the Eternal. When the time came for Israel to leave Egypt, for Jacob's family to be free of those who spoke another language, God chose to make Judah his sacred place, and Israel became his realm and the waters of the sea witnessed God's actions and ran away. The Jordan, too, turned around and ran back to where it came from. All of the mountains leapt with the strength of mighty rams, and all of the hills danced with the joy of little lambs. Why do you retreat, O sea? Why do you roll back your waters, O Jordan? Why, O mountains, do you leap with the strength of rams? Why, O hills, do you dance with joy like little lambs? Shudder and quake, O you earth, at the sight of the Lord. The God of Jacob comes, who turns rock into pools of refreshing water and flint into fountains of life-giving streams. Proverbs 15, 15 through 17. The poor and oppressed suffer hardship day after day, but those with kind hearts continually feast. It is better to live with less and honor the eternal than to have riches and carry the burdens that come with them. 
Better to eat only vegetables served lovingly than a fattened ox served hatefully. Okay, so as we uh, are rounding the corner on this week and uh, preparing to close it down, let's just take a second to orient ourselves to where we are in in the stories in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, so we've been, you know, watching King Saul, and then we saw uh, David enter the story, and we saw his rise to prominence and fame, and we've also watched Saul's decline. And, you know, at this point in the story, David is convinced for good reason uh, that Saul, that his actual intention is to assassinate him. And so he goes to his friend, Jonathan, and he's like, I I swear, I swear I'm only a step away from death. Your dad is, (laughs) your dad is going to kill me. And Jonathan didn't believe this, but he he did very quickly. He learned very soon after that. Yeah. In fact, Saul did want to kill David and uh, he learned that for sure because Saul tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. It's not the first time we've seen this kind of behavior out of Saul, even towards his own son. And so we, you know, I mean, at this point we can't look at Saul and, and not see a man who's kind of gone off the rails even though he has supreme power. And this all really boils down to the fear of man, of comparison and trying to get an identity out of what people think. This has allowed Saul to move into this uh, jealousy and paranoia and rage. Meanwhile, we're watching David hold on to God for dear life because there's like no other way. He has had to grow up so fast and has had to become a warrior, a stealthy warrior so quickly uh, that his instincts are certainly well sharpened. And uh, so we see a a final meeting between Jonathan and David where Jonathan is accepting the fact that King Saul wants David dead and he's sending him away and We'll pick up with the story uh, as we move forward in, in our next step, step tomorrow. So then we move to the Gospel of John, and Jesus has healed a man who was blind since the day he was born, and he did it again on the Sabbath day. And uh, it's the Sabbath day that has Jesus in so much trouble with these people, with the religious leaders. Because they have, uh, you know, spent a lot of time arguing with each other about what work is. Like, what constitutes work. Because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And uh, healing falls into that category. And so, Jesus, on a number of occasions, steps right into the face of that and heals people on the Sabbath day. And argues legitimately, like, are you serious? Like, uh, because the Pharisees were like, this is happening on the Sabbath day, so it must be happening because of the devil. Right? This man is a sinner because he's doing this on the Sabbath day. And this is an ongoing thing with Jesus between the Pharisees. One of the things that has them so irate 
and so acutely aware that they will not be able to control Jesus and rein him in. I mean, the truth is, had they been able to rein Jesus in and get him to be just like a good Orthodox Pharisee, then, uh, I mean, they would have had a superstar rabbi on their hands. Jesus just, he didn't come to play that game. It, it, it was not his mission to try to find prominence. And yet, he was able to do all of these miraculous things that were bringing him prominence and bringing envy upon him from the Pharisees. And so, in, uh, in, our, in the story that we read today, right, this man who is blind from birth sees, he goes to the temple, the Pharisees start asking questions. They're asking, like, all kinds of interrogating questions and asking them from all kinds of angles and they draw the man's parents into the mix to prove he was blind from birth because they believe this is a joke but everybody around knows this is the man he was blind from birth and now he can see and so they're just after this guy and they throw him out of the synagogue simply because he's stating the obvious he's basically saying I don't know how to judge who a sinner is. That's your job. You're the religious elite. Like, you spend your life studying this. So you guys are the ones that get to determine who's a sinful one. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I just know I couldn't see, and I now can see, because this person healed me. So there's plenty for us to think about here. Jesus, for sure, messed with the theological understanding of the Pharisees. When he healed on the Sabbath, repeatedly. And at the same time, nobody could claim that the blind receiving sight wasn't an act of God. So they were in a theological and in a, a traditional like impasse. And rather than simply acknowledging God's goodness, they fell back on their traditions. And in the process, denounced God. So, so we should understand in this story that there are more types of blindness than just being unable to see the physical sense of, of, of light and shape. The Pharisees were also the blind people in this story. They were blind to what God was doing among them because it conflicted with their theological understanding of God. Isn't it funny how this is, uh, this is a recurring theme in the Gospels, but it's only usually talked about in terms of, uh, you know, the religious elite people, the, the ones who were theologically students of the Torah. It's them versus Jesus. We never bring ourselves into the mix. But... God is bigger than uh, he's bigger than all of the theological understandings that we can construct around him the scaffolding that we build around him to try to explain what he does and what he doesn't do and and how and how that Im implicates us God at least as we read through the Bible he doesn't care about that so much like he'll disrupt whatever he wants to disrupt he will disrupt someone's understanding any way he chooses. Uh, and yet, in this day and age, all over the world, I mean, we still find ourselves in theological wars. 
We still find ourselves fighting over Jesus and what he's going to do and what he's not going to do and how he's going to do it and who he's going to do it with and why. Uh, the, the, the theological disagreements that we have with each other, uh, these are, they have purpose. If we're actually digging in and searching for the truth, uh, but they don't have much value when they're nothing more than, than our attempt to be right, right? To, to be superior, uh, to curate our lives and appear that we're closer to God. That makes us look a lot more like the Pharisees than it does uh, Jesus. I mean, God loves us all. Uh, we're going to have to learn to do the same thing. Battling over uh, our personal doctrine isn't going to draw us closer to God. And the funny thing is, at least in my experience, the closer we become to God, the more we realize how little we actually know. And Jesus it gives us a beautiful invitation in this story to receive sight where we are blind and to begin to know him well beyond our formula. And so Jesus, we invite you into that Holy Spirit come because so often we turn to theology and doctrine and we look to our leaders to tell us what to do and to tell us what to think and feel and, and how things work when you have invited us actually into a personal relationship. It becomes tricky when uh, we're trying to walk in a personal relationship with you, but also trying to know the rules. And this eventually leads us into building walls and uh, walling ourselves in and walling everyone else out. And uh, it leads to our own pride and our judgment of one another and then our uh, search for an identity by comparison. All of a sudden we find ourselves being a Pharisee and King Saul. And we feel like we're protecting you. And the truth is, uh, we're protecting our own fears. We're afraid to be in a first person, always on, never off relationship with you. Because that might mean we have to live by faith. And that most of the time we won't know if we're doing the right thing or not. Other than just a knowing within our hearts that you are leading us forward. And yet that is the beginning beginning of the journey and we have so many examples from people in the bible who walked with you and how counterintuitive their journey was and yet we think we can just lay out a grid of theology and doctrine and just have every eventuality accounted for in our lives and then we're so mad when we're walking a counterintuitive journey ourselves come holy spirit Help us to become aware that what you are doing is inviting us into the life of faith. And we claim the life of faith every day. And yet the life of faith by default invites us to live beyond what we think we know. It invites us to live inside the realm of mystery. Beyond what we can control and beyond what we can explain. Come, Holy Spirit, draw us deeper into Jesus today. Lead us on the narrow path that leads to life. Lead us into all truth, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. DailyAudioBible.com is the website. 
It's home base. It's where you find out what's going on around here. So uh, be sure to stay tuned and stay connected in any way that you uh, can or any way that you want to. The community section of the website gives links to different social media channels that uh, that we uh, continually update. So stay connected there. The prayer wall is also there. Fantastic place to pray for each other. All of these things are available in the Daily Audio Bible app, of course. Uh, so check that out. If you want to partner with the Daily Audio Bible, you can do that at dailyaudiobible.com. There is a link. It's on the homepage. Thank you for your partnership. Profoundly thank you. If you're using the Daily Audio Bible app, you can press the Give button in the upper right-hand corner. Or if you prefer, the mailing address is P.O. Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee, 37174. And as always, if you have a prayer request or comment, 877 942-4253 942-4253 is the number to dial. And that's it for today. I'm Brian. I love you. And I'll be waiting for you here. Tomorrow. Hi, it's Sherry from Kansas. I was just listening to the May 15th uh, podcast. Um, Louise, I think you said your name was Louise. You're from Massachusetts, and you're a senior citizen with an arthritic uh, disability, and you're very much alone. You don't have any family, and you never dreamed that you would end up this way in your latter years. And I want you to know I'm in the same situation as you. Uh, I did have some family, but they were the ones that uh, stole from my parents while my parents lay dying, and... When I lost my parents, I lost that family as well. Um, So I lost everybody all at once. Um, I want you to know I understand. You're not alone. There are people, other people like you and I in this world. And I just want you, I just want to pray for you right now. Father, I, I lift up Louise before you and I ask you, Father, to... Give her the sense of your presence, Father, and to let her know she's never, ever, ever, ever alone. And, Father, that this entire Daily Audio Bible family will be praying for her. But I pray, Father, that you will connect her with someone, maybe a a caregiver that comes to visit or someone in the area where she lives if she's in an apartment building. But, God, I just lift her up to you, and I ask that you bring her someone, God, a companion, a friend, and that she also would know that you are her friend as well, and, God, that you will move heaven and earth on her behalf, Lord. Father, I thank you for it, and I I just pray for her to be encouraged, and, uh, Lord, I ask that you lift her spirits, and, Father, that uh, joy would just come, and I thank you for Hello, this is Joyful Noise from Southern California. This call is for just a college student. I um, I was blown away by how you introduced yourself, and there's no just because you're also a child of God. And I, you know, I just want to share with you how compelling your story was because you you didn't make any rationalizations when you asked for prayer. You said a 
sinful relationship or a sexual sinful relationship that I started. You took complete ownership. That's confession. And so do you know, just a college student, (laughs) that God promises that he separates that sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And you now have forgiveness. And so you have confessed your sin to, um, to the church via the daily audio Bible, right? And you confess to God at the same time. And so, therefore, you're on the way to healing. I wanted to share that with you and just what an encouragement. And just know that, you know, the kids that you will be um, ministering to at, um, at the summer camp, a Christian camp that, that you're worried about attending, just know that they are also struggling with sin and that you perhaps may have a ministry. There may be somebody that you come across that you um, meet that is struggling with something similar. And just know that, you know, God's going to use that. He uses all of our sins to his greater glory, doesn't he? So just know that you're going to be perfectly positioned and it's preordained by God that you're going to be there. I also um, just really want to reiterate what you said, which is that I don't know where I would be without the Daily Audio Bible community. Me neither. Me neither, brother. I, I just want to share, Brian, you have been such a blessing and you shared... Right around the end of March um, or early April, you shared that at any given moment, someone is listening to and praying for... Hi, DAB family. This is Eric from Massachusetts. It's Wednesday, May 15th. Um, This morning on the DAB, I heard two people call in. One of them was from uh, a college student from Indiana who's struggling with uh, sexual sin. And um, yeah, I know exactly where you have been. Um, and so I want to pray for you. And the next call was a lady from Massachusetts, and I actually moved from Indiana to Massachusetts last year. Um, and this lady from Massachusetts is older and only, um, and I get, I get that too. So I want to pray for both of you. Holy Spirit, Lord, I ask that you come down on these two people, this young man in college in Indiana. I want to pray for him, Lord, that he seeks your face and that he asks for help uh, within his church community, within people around him, that he's, he's vulnerable and willing to share what's going on in his life. Lord, I pray that he would find strength and power in your mighty name, Jesus. And I also pray for this woman, I think her name was Eileen, from Massachusetts, um, who's lonely. Um, I understand. I live in Massachusetts. If you're anywhere uh, around the Framingham area, please reach out to me, and uh, I'll come and visit you. My email is erchurch at protonmail.com. I love you, family. Take care. Hey, this call is for a college student. You said from India. Brother, I'm praying for uh, you and the bondage that you're in. Um, you are not alone. Don't forget that. Um, and uh, I would encourage you to really be in prayer about whether or not you should go to this uh, summer camp thing. Because it sounds like uh, like it could not be a good thing. I don't I don't know what what it is, but you did not sound like you were. Uh, ready to go do that, man. Um, so really, really pray on that and, and think about that. Um, 
bring it to God. Uh, I'll be praying for you. Keep us updated. Uh, we all love you. We're praying for you.